Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Odds On Podcast, your home of football and sports betting. My name's Dan Tracy and for the next 45 minutes I'm joined by two top guests as we dissect all the numbers, look for the value and find those long shots before this weekend's football action. As I say, it's not just me on the show today, so before we start waxing lyrical about wagers, let's get the introductions out of the way. First up, I'm joined by Craig Jones. Craig, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and I hope all is well. Yeah, hello Dan. Um, all good at my end. So I'm enjoying the, the summer weather that we've been getting recently and, and the very, very last few kicks of the season um, before we get a few weeks off from football. Uh, final show of the season today, so something a little bit different, but I'm really looking forward to, to talking about football from, from a slightly different angle um, after what's been like an absolutely action-packed few months, really. It has felt like the season's gone on forever, but last but certainly not least is Jamie Brown. Jamie, have you got one more episode in the tank for a well-deserved summer break? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe another season's already over it. I remember last season, kind of our, our final couple of shows. And uh, yeah, for, for me, it feels like it's flown by. Obviously, you do think about it. It has been a long season. But yeah, it's crazy how quickly it's gone over. Um, yeah, it's been obviously kind of the first week where we haven't really had any club football. And, uh, you know, it has been difficult. But uh, already looking forward to next season. But look, obviously, we've still got a good show here and uh, lots to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay, that's all the intros out of the way, so let's get down to business. And of course, before we start, wherever you bet, check first with freebets.com, your best place for offers, tips and insights. And from a social media point of view, if you're placing any bets this weekend, let us know via the odds on podcast hashtag. And who knows, we may be discussing your winners on next season's show. Okay, where should we start first? Let's take the time to look back on what's been a season that feels like it has lasted forever. I mean, with a World Cup bang in the middle, we've got a lot out of it. So, Craig, Man City have won the treble. How big of an achievement does that feel compared to Manchester United 24 years ago? Yeah, I think it's massive for them. Um, fully deserved as well. And the first point to mention is is the, what you've just said, really. Like, don't forget we've had a World Cup in the middle of this where things have, you know, players have played a lot of games. Um, some would argue that that's maybe helped Manchester City more than others. But, you know, it is a disruptive period. Players have gone off to play international football in the middle of a season. It's something that we've never had before. Teams have had to adjust and adapt. and So so it, I do think that adds into the fact that it, it makes it even better for them, in my opinion. Um, you know, they've been close before, but in, in many ways, it was just a matter of time before they did put the cherry on the top and, and win the Champions League. And, that, and that's what's happened this year. Um, from a sort of a Premier League perspective... I think they showed their quality in the closing stages. And to be honest, in the final 10 games of the Premier League, running 10, 12, whatever it was, what Manchester City did was absolutely brilliant. And really, without disrespecting Arsenal too much, they blew them out of the water. They showed their experience, the fact they'd been there and done it before. And I just wonder if that's maybe a worrying sign for Europe when it comes to the Champions League. You know, now they've been there and done it before, could they be even tougher to beat? Um the biggest praise for Manchester City for me would have to go down to Pep Guardiola and his, and his team of assistants just for keeping players at the club happy and getting them to buy in despite not really playing all the time. If you look at their attacking group, you know, Phil Foden, Raid Mares, uh, Bernardo Silva, even Julian Alvarez, who World Cup winner, um, and I would maybe even throw in Jack Grealish as well to a certain extent. They could all go elsewhere, play for pretty much anyone in the Premier League and probably play an extra 10 games a season. But Rather than doing that, they're buying in at City. They know they're not going to be playing all the time, but they are impressing when they do get the chances. And you just don't hear about 
too much upset in the dressing room and you know around that they've got a big squad and they've got big names and there's a lot of big egos there but I just think they manage it very well Manchester City and that's played into the fact that they've been able to have this kind of success they, they, they do have the sort of team togetherness and team spirit that that Manchester United team did have 20 odd years ago um, so yeah fully deserved I'm glad they've got over the line with the Champions League and maybe Europe should be worrying about what's coming next given the fact that their Premier League success has sort of made them even more hungrier for more. Let's We might see that in Europe. Well, Jamie, on the flip side, there's always that kind of fear from a City point of view that now they've reached the pinnacle of football, can they create the legacy? Can they create a dynasty? So when you look at what needs to be done, or if anything, in the summer, how does Pep Guardiola evolve his team even further? Yeah, well, look, it was interesting there hearing Craig speak about kind of the togetherness in that squad and maybe, you know, a real harmony and players not being upset. And one thing that, Makes that I feel that City have done so well over the last couple of years is is maybe knowing when to move players on. Um, so there's there's not those players in the dressing room that are maybe causing those issues, and um, you know they're constantly refreshing the team. So you've got players that are hungry and motivated to go. They're willing to kind of wait for their opportunities, and, that, and that's something that's been really big for them. So. I don't think it's necessarily in terms of who they're going to bring in, but maybe who they might move on and um, and then, of course, look to bring through. Um, looks like we might see a couple of players leave City this this summer. Obviously, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Laporte, Mares have all been linked with moves away. So there's a couple of players there they are really looking to refresh. Um, and then, of course, what I think they've done so well is is kind of when they integrate these players, they kind of do it very gradually and they get used to being in the team and then they become like a big part. And for me, I think Nathan Ake was quite a good example of this. Obviously, a guy who didn't get many opportunities. Grealish as well, another guy who wasn't getting too much game time maybe last season. But this year, they've come in and been really key players. So that's something that, that they're really good at in terms of refreshing the squads integrating players and um, yeah I think that that's what will be probably their most important business in terms of who they're going to move on how they're going to refresh the squad um, because and that's why I think they, they're able to stay motivated for, for so long. Now of course City aren't the only team in England to lift their European trophy this season West Ham won the Europa Conference League but the team could have a different look at the start of next season. Now Craig Declan Rice is currently one to three on for a move to Arsenal do you reckon that will be his summer destination? Yeah it seems to be that that way but what I would say is I do worry when the media start talking about Manchester City lurking in the background for him. And I just wonder if, you know, as Jamie's alluded to, there's potentially sort of three, four, five players leaving Manchester City this summer um, and they're wanting to refresh things a little bit. You know, it, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if, if they did go in and start putting a bid in for him. Um, to, to me, one, one of the things that I look at when I look at football, and I would say maybe the modern way of playing and how Manchester City have done it so well, you're attacking sort of four or five are very fluid and there's exchanging of positions and players move around and whatever. But to me, that change has actually made the holding midfield position perhaps the most important position on the field because the player who sits there, Rodri at the minute for Manchester City, and something that Declan Rice does brilliantly that player allows all those others to interchange and move and all of a sudden you do get maybe Jack Grealish and Bernardo Silva on the same wing because they know that they've got someone behind them who's sitting there. And I just think that that, that sort of player is, is, although Arsenal have got a decent midfield, I think if they, they throw Declan Rice in there, the amount of sort of freedom that other players are going to have because they know Rice is there is going to be absolutely massive for them. Um, I think he's one of the best in the world at it. So it'd be a big sign. And if Arsenal do bring it off, I think they will eventually. I think they just sort of gone in with an offer that's being rejected and they're just trying to work out how much it is that they've really got to pay 
media suggests it'll be just over 100 million. And I think Arsenal's first bid were 80 million. So there's a bit of room to uh, to move around there. Eventually, I think a deal will be struck. And I do think it goes to Arsenal. But as I said, Manchester City lurking. As an Arsenal fan, I would like to get it sort of done sooner rather than later just to stop a team like City coming in and, and uh, pinching him. I think it'd be a great signing for them. Oh, Jamie, another England international that could be on the move is Harry Maguire. He's 4-1 to one for a move to Tottenham. Is that a move that you would green like personally or do you reckon Spurs need to look elsewhere for defensive personnel? Yeah, well, first on Maguire, um, I will say I think kind of the criticism of him and everyone kind of really piling in on him I don't think he's anywhere near as poor as everyone's kind of making him out to be. Um, I think he is a player that's certainly in need of like a new challenge, a new environment as well. I think he's kind of got himself into a situation where, you know, confidence is really low. He's got everyone on his back. He's got a lot of pressure on him. So I would like to see him kind of get a move away. Um, Last season, I might have taken him maybe in like a Conte system, kind of in a back three. I, I think he would have been a good signing. I actually kind of was suggesting um, maybe in around January time and last summer that he might have been someone worth looking at. Obviously, homegrown, um, knows players like Harry Kane. He's got a really strong relationship with him. So potentially, but I, I think now when you look at Spurs, obviously bringing in Ange Postecoglou, we're going to be playing a black four, uh, a very high aggressive um, you know, a line as well. So I think we're going to need maybe a different profile centre-back. And so... I don't think they're going to go for Maguire. I don't think he'd fit a Postacoglu system where you're playing, playing hard at the pitch. Uh, so uh, I don't think this one will happen, unfortunately. OK, then we cannot ignore another Harry, that being Kane, of course. And Craig, with United reportedly calling their interest, is a smart bet now, 8-13 to for Tottenham's talisman, to stay in North London? Yeah, I mean, so much talk about Harry Kane leaving Tottenham over the summer and, and so much talk about Harry Kane leaving Tottenham for the past few summers. Um we sort of getting a pattern a bit here, I think, to be honest with you. We, we begin with it where, as we approach the end of a season, it looks almost certain to happen. And then we actually do get to the end of the season and teams start pulling away and, and cooling their interest. Um, before you know it, he's back in pre-season with Tottenham. And then, before you know it again, he's, he's scored another 20 Premier League goals for them. Um, my gut feeling is that he doesn't move. I think he plays at Tottenham for the rest of his career. Um, but what I will add to that, though, is think if Kane moves it would have to be to a it would have to be a big money move and it would have to be a, to a team where everybody can see why he's going there to win a trophy um I don't think Manchester United's that team and I would also say that I think if he is going to do that this is the summer he has to do that it feels like a bit of a pivotal moment in all this for me if he doesn't move this summer I don't think the right kind of move for Kane will come about again um, other moves may come about, but I don't think he'd take them because it's not the move that, that would suit him. So I don't think he leaves, but if he does leave, it, it, it will be this summer. Um, I just He's what Manchester United need, but at the same time, I think if he's moving anywhere, he wants to go and win a trophy, and I don't think Manchester United really offer that for him in, in the way that they currently are set up. Um, they're not far off, but it's not a massive step towards a trophy, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if Kane was to move this summer, I think it would have to be Real Madrid. Like the deck chairs are kind of moved around and there's never going to be a better time for him to slot in at the Bernabeu. And I think if the sliding doors don't open up for Kane and he goes to Spain this summer, I don't think he ever goes to the continent. So watch his space. But we also need to watch his space regarding James Madison, Jamie, because he's also being linked with a move to Spurs, but Newcastle are favourites to land him, or to four to six. So do you reckon this move can be completed before the start of a new campaign? 
Do you know what I'm going to say now? I don't know if this will surprise a few people, but I, I would be genuinely surprised if he isn't a Spurs player um, come next season. I do think he will uh, eventually join Spurs. Um, obviously, it would be quite quite a thing for him to turn down a Champions League move to Newcastle. But um, I think he's holding out for a move to London and to Harry and, and to play with the likes of Harry Kane as well. Um, so I actually do think this one will happen. Um, He's exactly kind of what Spurs need. Obviously, you look at Postacoglu's system, the way he plays central midfielders. He likes players that can kind of get forward into good attacking positions. And obviously, Madison would, would fit that. Um, Spurs, we've very much missed a player like that since the, the days of Ericsson and Deli Ali. Obviously, we've not really had any midfielders that can get forward and score. And, um, you know, our, our squad's pretty much been built for playing almost a, a three-back system where you've got two very solid central midfielders and we're kind of packed with them. So, um, Spurs desperately need a player like James Madison. And, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I genuinely believe that Madison will be a Spurs player. He's a guy that we wanted to try and sign last summer. Uh, I know that Conte ended up turning it down, which is crazy to think that he, he decided to do that. Um, but I, yeah, I actually do think this one will happen. And uh, I believe Madison will be a Spurs player. Now, Crystal Palace still need a new manager before the start of the new season. And Craig Roy Hodgson is not going anywhere in terms of the bookmaker's favourite because he's still 6-5 to five for him to stay at Selhurst Park. Do you reckon he now gets the job by default? Yeah, I think it's just a, a case of if he gets the job, if he wants it, um, should sort of Hodgson go into Palace and tell them that he wants to carry on managing, then then I think that he's going to get this job and, and get the chance to uh, to go into a full season with them. Um, to me, this is not a betting market that sort of focuses on the decisions of, of the team. It's it's more so a, a betting market that focuses on the decision of, of one man. And seemingly Roy Hodgson's either going to continue with Crystal Palace or he's going to retire. Um the one thing that I will say about all of this, though, is I just wonder, I, I'm not convinced that the Roy Hodgson way will work for a full season with Crystal Palace. I don't think things are going to go as well as they did towards the end of last season. And if that doesn't go to plan and we get to a point where Crystal Palace move on from Roy Hodgson, whether it be during the season or whether it be at the end of the season, I just wonder how much they'll look back and sort of room missing out on landing Graham Potter um, who's currently free and probably won't be free for too long. I just think that he would be an absolute perfect fit for Crystal Palace. And I think he's he's going to have a point to prove when he gets back into management because of what's happened at Chelsea. And a lot of the things that happened at Chelsea weren't his fault, in, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so I just wonder how much they would potentially rue that if, if they do go with Hodgson, which is obviously not guaranteed. But um, if Roy wants to stay, I think he does. Now, another club which is still looking for a manager is Leeds United. A new name is currently favourite, and Jamie, that man, is former Norwich manager, Daniel Farker. So he's currently 11-10 to 10 to take the Ellen Road post. Do you reckon that's the direction that the Leeds new owners will take? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a sensible choice, this one. Obviously, we've seen him uh, manage three times in the Championship with Norwich. Two, two out of those three times, he kind of almost dominated the league. He you know, amassed 93, uh, 93, um, 93 points in one season. Scored lots of goals as well. His team scored plenty of goals. Obviously, we know, you know the way that Leeds fans like to see their teams play, attacking football. Um, and in those seasons, he very much did that. So, um, yeah, I, th I think this is definitely one to consider. Carlos Kobirin might be another one as well. Obviously, currently at West Brom, but he looks like a guy that they're going to talk to. Um, he obviously offers a bit more value as well. He's like seven to one, so that's definitely one to keep an eye on. But uh, yeah, as, as we all can see, Daniel Farker very much the favourite at the moment for this one. Right, the football season is all but finished. It's now time to look ahead to the next one. We're only weeks away, so we can't relax too much. And Craig, City are four to six to win another Premier League title. 
Would you be bold enough to back that price and wait nine months? Can you see anyone derailing the light blue machine? Yeah, I mean, personally, when I'm looking at sort of anti-post markets, and I think quite a few people like it, I, I would only go in at, at bigger odds. So it's not. So I wouldn't really ever look at the Premier League market. Having said that, um, I do think that Manchester City are, the, are by far the most likely winners. And really, when you look at it, I think four to six is a very fair price about their chances. Um, they've become regular winners. And when you look at the team, there's there's players in there who are relatively young, like sort of Phil Foden. He's won the Premier League five times. They look like a, a really hungry group who want to keep going on and want to win. And if we look at what they did last season, they just glided into top gear towards the end of the season and showed that the gap between them and, and many others in in the division is still a fair size. Um, yeah, they, they look like they're going to lose two or three players this summer, but they're going to bring two or three players in. Obviously, they are. Um, yeah, I just think this City team's too good. And to be honest, I've not really even looked at the market. Like I say, it's not something that I would be looking at anyway, but I, I was a little surprised when, when I saw they were four to six. I think it's more than fair about their chances of winning because I just can't really pick out which team I would have as the second best and most likely to to dethrone them. I think they're all sort of much of a muchness, really. So, yeah, de I definitely think City will win the league, yeah. I mean, I think it's all connected to how long Pep stays. It's, what, five out of six in terms of Premier League title wins. It could be nine out of ten, really. And I know people will say the Premier League will then become a one-horse race. But I'm with the mindset, as long as there's a good title race that we saw the season just had, it doesn't really feel like a one-horse race compared to, say... PSG in France, you kind of feel as long as there's a, a battle that the end winner doesn't really matter too much. Obviously, neutrals will probably have a different idea and, you know, not the same viewpoint, but I just feel that this is a machine that isn't going to be derailed anytime soon. It's more a case of how many they're going to go in the distance. And as I say, nine out of 10 probably isn't a, a, a massive overstep. But Jamie, in terms of Arsenal, they were the best of the rest last season. They're two to one to repeat a top two finish this time around. Do you reckon Mikel Arteta's men can do this or do you reckon they've missed their chance to truly compete? No, I, I don't think so. I, th I think they will be very much up the next season. I don't know if you guys have heard it as well and, and I've seen lots of people suggesting it that they will kind of fall off next season and they're not going to be up there. Um, for me, I, I, I don't kind of buy that at all. I think a lot of people suggesting that other teams are going to kick on. Obviously, that would include the likes of Man United, Newcastle, Liverpool, maybe Chelsea as well. But I can kind of give you reasons why maybe they'd fall off as well, these other teams. Um, Man United, for me, were maybe unconvincing at times. And obviously, there was such a big gap to them in Arsenal anyway. Newcastle, they're obviously going to have to contend with Europe next season. So that's going to be a big burden on them. And Liverpool, obviously, you know, Europa League playing on Thursdays. I think they finished miles off Arsenal anyway. So, um, look, Arsenal, they're really strengthening as well. Looks like they're probably going to bring Declan Rice. Kai Havertz, yes, obviously not a particularly good signing in my opinion, but obviously he's a guy that Arteta wants and maybe he can do something with him. So they're already looking to strengthen. So, um, yeah, I don't buy this, that they're not going to be up the next season. And, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason why they won't finish in the top two again next season. OK, let's focus on Newcastle now and whether their upward curve up the Premier League table can continue. It's six to five for another top four finish. Craig, can they make it two years in a row? I, I don't know is the honest answer. What what I would say is just sort of to tie in what I've already spoke about Manchester City. I think the four to six on Manchester City winning the league is far better value than the six to five on Newcastle to get in the top four. Um, I, I do think Arsenal will be up there again, uh, and obviously that's helped greatly by the fact that they're hopefully signing Declan Rice. 
Um, I don't think Liverpool will be as bad as what they were in the first half of the season. And I think if you look at Liverpool's form in the second half of the season, that will be enough to get them in the top four. Um, the Manchester United worst-case scenario for me is that they're slightly worse than last year, than last year. but there is obviously the chance that if ever the takeover goes through, they, they can just bring in a couple of really good players late on and, and be better. Um, it's not the biggest stretch in the world to think that Chelsea turn things around on the porch and, and sort of, I think a good start for them is going to be absolutely crucial. If they can start the season well, then there's every chance that Chelsea's turnaround comes quicker than what some people think. Um, I think you throw all of that together, combined with the fact that, as Jamie's just mentioned, Newcastle are playing European football and those Champions League nights in Newcastle are going to be absolutely huge. The fans and the players, everybody's going to be massively up for it. And, when you're playing in Europe on a Tuesday, but before you're there, you've got to go away to Luton or you've got to go away to Bournemouth or you've got to go wherever. How do you get yourself up for that game when you've got a big Champions League game on the horizon? So it wouldn't surprise me if Newcastle strengthened the team, but in the Premier League were actually no better than they were last season. Um, I've sort of thrown all of that together. I've not yet mentioned a Tottenham resurgence, which I don't think will come, but could. Um, and we've not mentioned Aston Villa or Brighton taking another small step forward. Um, I just think it's too much of a race. There's too many variables. There's too many teams who could definitely be in there. I get the feeling that a very good team is going to finish fifth this coming season. Um, so with all of that in mind, I think uh, Newcastle at 6-5 to five to get in the top four is fairly bad value. Um, that's not saying I don't think they'll have a good season. Like I say, I think they could finish fifth, maybe sixth, and have a decent season, but not be in the top four. Well, Jamie, Craig says there are a lot of variables. One of those is Chelsea. They're going to look to get their house in order under Mauricio Pochettino. They're also 11-10 to 10 to achieve the same top four feet. Do you reckon he can return the Blues to some form of normality during this campaign? Um, well, look, firstly, I'll say I, I think top four is maybe a bit of a stretch for t in terms of how much they have to improve. Um, but I think they will make some sort of improvement. I mean, they certainly have to, given the amount of money they've spent. Um, I just struggled to kind of see that they're going to be quite as poor next season. I think they've invested in so many good young players. Um, and I think that they eventually will come good. Obviously, it's just kind of about getting them to become a team. Obviously, so many new additions. It's always going to take a lot of time. They've obviously invested in a very good coach as well, who's kind of renowned for building good teams and working with young players. So I think they've got a good manager in there. Um, obviously, they're going to make some important additions as well. We're going to see a striker come in. I'm sure of that. Uh, another central midfielder as well will, will come in. Obviously, Caicedo looks to be that guy. And that would be a great investment. Um, so, yeah, and then, of course, you, ha you, you hand that in with uh, no Europe next season. I think that that will be a big factor for them. Obviously, playing almost one game a week, I think that will be a big help for them. So, um, yeah, I think it's obviously going to take a bit of time for them to really get going. Um, but, yeah, as I said, I think top four is too much of an ask because I just think there's kind of so much work to be done here with Chelsea. And I think it's going to continue to take time. Um, for it to eventually come good. So, uh, yeah, I probably would stay clear of them at that price. Now, the other fascinating market is the teams to be relegated market. And, Craig, the obvious candidates are going to be Luton and Sheffield United. 4-11 to and 4-7 to respectively to go down. Are they two of your three? I mean, Sheffield United are for certain. Um, there's plenty of reports in the local media that saying that the purse strings at the club are well and truly shut at the minute. Um, incomings will be limited. And when they do bring players in, they're going to be fairly cheap signings. And, and there's also the fact that they do need to move on a few players as well by the, by the sounds of it. Um, so I think that by the time we get to August, it will be no surprise at all if Sheffield United have the weakest squad 
out of any team in the Premier League. Um, I would actually flip Sheffield United and Luton's prices round, to be honest. Um, I, I would. I think Sheffield United uh, will be um, potentially the one, the one team that really do struggle and, and really do sort of look most likely to finish bottom. And, and one of the reasons for that, I think, is because I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Luton can grind out some wins at home, but better than what Sheffield United do. And if we look at Nottingham Forest staying up this this season, just gone. Um, much of that was down to the fact that they were able to grind out wins from home. I would say that Luton have got a far bigger advantage than than either Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United, Burnley, any other club um, have been able to sort of go and grind those wins out and, and just do something at home that's um, obviously every atmosphere down there is going to be incredibly special when they're playing in the Premier League. Um, yeah, I think Luton still may go down. It might not be good enough, but specifically about those two, I would flip the prices around for certain. I think that Sheffield United, in my opinion, will be the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League. So, therefore, should be the team most likely to be relegated, whereas the betting suggests that that's Luton at the minute. Um, so, I think that's wrong, but I do think both teams are going to struggle. Now, Jamie, the other promoted team is Burnley, but I want to fit the question on its head, because do you reckon they can stay up at odds of 9-4? to four? I, I think they will. Um, I, I really like Vincent Company. I think he's a fantastic manager. Um, I think their squad does need a lot of work to, to kind of be good enough for, for the Premier League. Um, however, I do think that they are very well tactically drilled. Um, and do you know what? If I can kind of compare them to a team this season, I think they'll have like a similar season to Bournemouth where um, I think they'll finish in around kind of maybe 14th, 13th and that, and that kind of area. So I do think they will be kind of fighting most of the season to stay up. But uh, as I said, I just, just really like Vincent Company. I think he's a fantastic manager. He's done a great job in kind of transforming Burnley and kind of the, the whole perception of, of the way that team plays. And uh, yeah, I think they should be good enough to stay up. And uh, But certainly will take a bit of investment. But uh, I, th I think Vincent Company knows kind of the players that he wants. He knows the right profile of player. Um, so yeah, I, I just think given how good he is, um, I think he will keep them up, yes. Now, Craig, we saw that Leicester could not avoid the too-big-to-go-down tag last season. If you had to pick more of a surprise option for relegation, who would it be? Yeah, um, so f following on from what Jamie said, I, I also think that Burnley will fairly comfortably stay up. The only one concern I've got around Burnley is whether they're a little bit too attacking and too free-flowing for the Premier League. But I have every faith that Vincent Company will sort of change that a bit and, and make them a little tougher to beat even if that's only sort of away from home and, and they play the normal game at home. Um, so I do think that um, at least one of the newcomers will will survive. And therefore, I do think there's a bit of value out there. The team that I've picked out is Nottingham Forest to go down. Um, they're 11-4, to four, so almost 3-1 to one to be relegated. Um, massive struggles away from home all season last year. And they had that terrible dip where I think something like 11 games without a win. Um, the Premier League was bad last year. I'm not saying it's much better for the coming season, but I don't think you can afford to do that. Um, I don't see anything but more change with their squad this summer. I think they're going to have a lot of players leaving. Um, they're going to be forced to keep some that are maybe not happy with the game time they're getting. They have got a core of players that are fairly good, but at the same time, I would say that the, the core is nothing outstanding and, and nothing above what you would expect from a team who gets promoted to the Premier League. Um, <clears throat> I just think there's going to be too many moving parts. And yeah, I, I think they got away with it last year rather than being good enough to stay up, um, even though they were they were sort of not involved in the final day shenanigans. 
So, yeah, I, I do fear for them. And I just think that almost three to one is a fairly decent price for them to go down. Well, Jamie, you could say exactly the same about Everton. More the fact that there was three worst teams. They were kind of the fourth worst team in the Premier League. Mm. It's two seasons in a row where they just get their heads above water. Will it be third time unlucky or to three to one? I, I think they're going to be fighting for relegation again. Um, and I think this could well be the time that they they do actually go. Um, I think they're in such a kind of a precarious position at the moment. Um, obviously, financially as well, they're building the new stadium. Um, I think they're going to have a fairly similar summer to what we saw last year from Leicester. Obviously, not, very, not many funds at all available. And I think Leicester... I think made like one or two signings and one of them was obviously a free transfer as well. So I think they're going to have a difficult summer and I just don't think they're going to do enough to kind of refresh their squad to, to come back and, and really go again and look to push up the table. And um, look, we saw kind of the, the effect it had at Leicester. It was just a squad that just kind of looked on its knees, really desperate need of investment, players that just weren't motivated enough. And uh, I think Everton are going to be in that situation. And um I think this could be the season they actually do go down. But yeah, it would be interesting to see how two of the new teams, as you mentioned, uh, fare this season. Luton and um, and Sheffield United, I think they could be in big trouble maybe. Um, so those are two of the other teams I think could go down. But Everton, I think, are really big chances for going down, unfortunately, this season for them. Right, we should also shine some light on the EFL and who are set to be the championship frontrunners. It's a brutal league to get out of. But Craig, would you put Leicester as the favourites at 11-2? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that this looks an incredibly tough championship this coming season. Um, there's going to be some very good teams who not only miss out on promotion, but just miss out on the playoffs because there's, there's physically enough, not enough places for, for the teams to get in there. Um, as for Leicester, I think they could be deserving favourites, but there's going to be a lot of moving pieces at that club this summer. I think there's, it's obvious that key players are leaving, um, but they need to get a manager in. They, there's... There's a lot of things that could change, so I'm going to leave them for now. But what I would say is by the time we get to that first week in August and things do kick off, Leicester could be a side, you know, if they happen to get a good manager in and they start spending some of the millions that they'll be receiving for the likes of James Madison, um, Harvey Barnes, who looks likely to leave, and others, then then Leicester have, have the ability to be very strong in the championship. Um, what I would say sort of, building on a bit really if you look at the championship I think all three of the teams that have come down would be fancied to go straight back up I think Middlesbrough on the cusp of something very special I rate Coventry a lot higher than many people I know I do but I think they're a great side and if they can hold together what they had last year um, they're another team who will be up there I think Sunderland have got a lot of investment coming in they'll be up there and Watford West Brom and Norwich Three teams who weren't in the Premier League not too long ago all didn't even make the playoffs last year. You know, they should be doing better. All three of those will will feel like they had disappointing seasons. With all of that said, and despite the fact that I do think it's one of the strongest championships in many years, um, and it may be a slight stretch too far for them for the first time back up there, I really, really like Ipswich to go very well and surprise a lot of people coming up from League One. Um, they were by far and away the best team in League One that I saw last year. Having said that, I'll say at the same time, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, Bolton are all better than average League One sides. And Ipswich were still miles clear of them. I would say that last year's Ipswich team was pretty much a mid-table -stand, mid standard for the championship. Uh, I thought they were that good. They made their intentions very clear that they're going to spend a few quid this summer as well. Um, they're going to need luck, and there's a lot of bigger names and big teams with aspirations above them. But 
They're twenty to one to win the league, and they're fifteen to two for promotion by any means. And I don't think I can leave them alone, even though I think it's going to be a step too far. I think it's a great championship. There's going to be some absolutely brilliant games. I just think Ipswich are a, a very good side who have got a great base to build on, a better base than most teams who come up from League One. And if I was having a bet right now, I think it would be Ipswich. Now, Jamie, I asked you about Leeds earlier, but what about Southampton? They're 8-1 to win the title. But as Craig says, it's going to be a cutthroat division. Mm. Is 5-2 to two for promotion even a stretch in your opinion? Yeah, well, I mean, Craig's made the exact point there, as I was going to say. I think the championship's shaping up to be kind of one of the toughest we've we've seen for a very long time. There's there's so many good teams in that division, um, so it's going to be very tricky to kind of call whoever's going to make it. But um, Southampton, I, I think they've got a good chance here. Um, it will obviously be interesting to kind of see how they can keep the the likes of uh, Belacocha, Romero Lavia as well, Alcaraz, another young player. So they can keep hold of some of those players. Obviously, Ward Prowse as well might be another one. Um, so if they can keep hold of some of these these players, it'll be interesting to see how they do. If they don't, of course, they'll have a chance to go and reinvest that. I think they'll get some good funds for those sort of players. So that'll be interesting. But I think it's just so it's so difficult to call right now because it's it's going to be such a competitive division. Obviously, the championship always incredibly unpredictable anyway. So. Uh, I think this is going to be a division to to really keep an eye on next season. And uh, I think it should be a lot of interest next season. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I think, as I said, Southampton have got a good chance of, of coming straight back up. Yeah, you're going to have to be pretty bold to back a championship bet just now. But you're going to have to be quite bold, you too, because I want some unsung heroes from you both. What player or club has gone largely under the radar for you and why? So, Craig, you're up first. What have you got for me? Yeah, I've decided to stick to my EFL roots with this one. Um, and I'm going to say Luton. So... Like you two, and like everyone listening to this podcast, yes, I am fed up of the memes about their away end. And I know we're going to get them all summer, but I can't let that overshadow what an unbelievable achievement they've managed to secure by reaching the Premier League. Um, firstly, let's go back to November, because what everyone forgets about Luton when we're talking about their away end and all this is the fact that at the start of November, three months into the new season, they lost the manager, Nathan Jones. An absolutely massive blow to the club. Um, more so than what it would be to many others, just because of how the club works. Sort of limited budget, bringing in players from lower down, having a recruitment team that look into that. Um, the, you know, They bring players in and improve them, and they need someone to buy into that. Um, so losing Nathan Jones was would be tough for anyone, but particularly for Luton and how they sort of operate. I think it's a big when they lose a manager. Now, luckily, they did have uh, Rob Edwards there, stupidly sat by their rivals, Watford, um, and they managed to grab him, and, and he's carried on the good work. Um, I think his time at Forest Green sort of giving him the tools to succeed, not necessarily succeed higher up, but succeed in, in the type of club that do look lower down the divisions and, and bring players through and, and look to sort of get little gains and improvements from players and eventually turn them into a championship player. Um, so, so second part of this is, it's just really how sort of Luton go about their business. You know, they're a small club and they do have to look down the pyramid to sort of find players and and they do it and they hit so often. I think it's brilliant. They they improve the squad. If you look at what's happened, Luton have pretty much improved the squad every summer for about 10 years in a row. Which, which How many times the teams have bad transfer windows? It, you know, not all the time, but you, you see teams have a... a dodgy transfer window once every sort of three or four years and some some teams do it more often than that Luton have continued to improve their squad year in year out for about a decade now um 
they, they have been on the wrong end of what they've done for quite a few times because they've signed numerous players from Barnsley, but they rarely miss. They very, very rarely miss. They don't have much money to spend, but they've got a team who spend it very wisely. And, and that is just the gradual improvements have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and lastly, despite talking about bringing players in, I do feel like we do need to mention Pelly, Rudick and Panzu, who left West Ham in the Premier League as a youngster to join Luton when they were in the National League at the time. And then he's still with the club when they get promoted to the Premier League. I just think that's an absolutely brilliant story. Um, and although we have, I have just spoke about Luton and how they bring players in and improve them, the fact that they've managed to get one player in there, sign him in the National League, and then improve him enough to be to be in the squad for a team that's got promoted to the Premier League is absolutely brilliant. Um, it, they, they may well only have a short stay in the Premier League, but there's going to be plenty of EFL fans, and myself included in that, will be really hoping and wishing Luton all the very best in the Premier League. And I just hope that the Premier League realise what Luton have done to get there, what an achievement it is, and what a good club they are. Um, we may see them again soon in the EFL. Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, I think Luton, the story around Luton often gets lost a little bit because of the the fun, fun things about their away end. But they're, they're a great club running the best way possible. Um, and, and I'm cheering them on all the way next year. That's a great shout then, Jamie. Who has not got enough praise in your eyes? <laughs> um, I've got to, got to go big to kind of follow up on that one. Um, I've actually gone for a, an individual player for this one. Um, and I think we've got to focus on Manchester City um, because obviously what an unprecedented achievement it was getting the treble. So I think it's going to pick in someone from that team who I felt has been, as we said, kind of an unsung hero. Um, for me, John Stones. Uh, I, I just think he's a guy who's who's been such a key player in that team. Obviously, we've seen him play a number of roles this season. Def you know, playing defence for, for a large part was absolutely fantastic there. Um, so obviously done really well there. Gone into midfield as well and, and was obviously fantastic kind of playing in this new Pep Guardiola system. Obviously, a lot of people were looking at this new formation that he's come up with and um, obviously questioning it. But John Stones has, has been a really key part as to why it's been so successful. Um, just slotting into midfield really well. I think his performance in the Champions League final was just extraordinary for a guy who's played defence all his career and to step into midfield um, and, you know, to, to offer what he did as well. As I saw a really interesting stat that he completed the most dribbles in the final since Lionel Messi in, in, uh, against Juventus in 2015. So, you know, obviously did have all parts of his game um, was, was such a good player this season for Manchester City. So, uh, yeah, Mang Sung heroes, uh, John Stones. OK, let's look at the high points of the campaign now. Craig, I'll start with you. Would it be Barnsley's promotion push, even though it fell short, right at the very end? Yeah, I feel like I need to go back 10 seconds and add something about John Stones, being a local lad and that. Um, is, is the the absolute godsend that every youth football coach in this area loves to talk about because it's the easiest way in, just to inspire kids. Um, he's you know, he, he, from Penniston, just up the road, played, played there at football, like played in our league as a kid. And so you just tell the kids, you know, this look at what he's done. Um, he's been absolutely brilliant. A lot, a lot of talk about what the town can do for him. And I, I, we've had a few conversations recently involving having a John Stone statue in Barnsley. Um, maybe that'll come eventually. We've got a Dickie Bird statue in Barnsley. You know, the old cricket umpire. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got a Dickie Bird statue and, and maybe we'll have a John Stone statue on it. I just think if he, if he wins the Premier League, let's say like eight, nine times, which is highly likely given his age, how can you not have a statue of him? Um, but... 
I think I'm still yet to convince a few other people about it. But is uh, um, just as a final point on John Stones, I'm sorry about this. Turn it into John Stones podcast. But because Manchester City won the Champions League, Everton got a payout of two point five million pounds as like a bonus for it. But Barnsley are due fifteen percent of everything that Everton get off John Stones. So a decade after selling him on. Barnsley are going to receive £375,000 for John Stones winning the Premier League, which is absolutely like loads of money for a club in League One. Um, so it just goes to show the value of add-on clauses in contracts. If you're a small club in League One or League Two, don't forget to put them in. So, uh, yeah, 10 years later, Barnsley are still getting paid for John Stones, which is brilliant. Anyway, moving away from, from the John Stones podcast, um, yeah, the, the sort of... There were a few games where I genuinely thought Barnsley were going to be promoted to the championship. And that like point of belief, which makes those games that little bit extra special, was was my sort of highlight of the moment, even though it, it sort of didn't come down to it in the end. And, you know, I've, I've sort of got over it now. Um, but that's what football is about. Those games where you go where there's a little bit extra at stake and there's something else to play for and just just that. But... To, to me, that the sort of the League One tour as such, as a whole, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, my son now goes to football with me. He didn't last time Barnsley were in League One, so he, he's been and he, he's seen us win at Hillsborough. Um, he saw us score away against Leeds, a Premier League team. He's had the Forest Green experience and he's had the Accrington Stanley experience, and and it's just like worlds apart. Those they're, they're like complete opposites of the the footballing spectrum, and obviously sort of rounded up by by managing to take him for his first game at Wembley. Um, I'll not forget his face when he was walking up to Wembley. I'll not forget his face when he got inside Wembley and saw how big it was. And I'll definitely never forget his face when that last minute when he went in. Um, his, his football is all about sort of memories and emotions and there's good and there's bad. Um, the bad times make the good times sweeter when they come around. So it's been very up and down. There's been great moments and, and bad moments, but that's what we live for. You know, we, we don't go to football to hope to be a mid-table team where we're just playing mundane games all the time. They're, they're the boring ones. You don't want to go on a on a cold Tuesday. You want to go, whether it's at the top of the league or the bottom, you want something to fight for. And luckily, I've had that this year. So, um, And I've had my lad along with me. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been a very good season. I'm hoping that next season replicates that, but with a little bit more on-pitch success at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from a personal point of view, you'd probably... Well, you'd love the promotion at the end, but I guess that season you've had with your your young lad, that's priceless, isn't it? As you say, their first Wembley, you might get many promotions down the line, but it's those kind of first moments that you've seen and done together this campaign is going to be, you know, the highest point of all. Yeah, we are, we are, I doubt, yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, that League One's such a strange thing that, yeah, he's been to Wembley, he's been to Hillsborough, he's been to Ellen Road, he's been to Forest Green. And, like, you know, that, that experience of going and, and like, Forest Green set up is... Is like essentially a, a national league setup, and you know there is smaller clubs out there, but the chance to take him and show him that football is not all about big stadiums is, is brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good league to be in. Although I would love to be in the championship, it's a good league to be in for, for the experience, definitely. Now, Jamie, as for your high point, is it as simple as the campaign has ended for Tottenham, or <laughs> are you looking ahead with sort of um, interest that now that Big Ange is at the helm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's been a very difficult season for Spurs. I think, you know, the performances have been really difficult to watch. 
Um, obviously, kind of missing out on Europe at all was was a big disappointment as well. I think there was so many so much expectation kind of going into the season. Obviously, being back in the Champions League. Um, but look, I'm going to kind of go with my own experience as well as, as something that was fantastic. Um, I went on one of my first European trips this season. I went to AC Milan away, um, obviously with Spurs. It was another defeat. It was another boring Spurs performance. But to have that experience of being in Milan, being with Spurs fans and kind of experience everything there that you get with, with being in Europe, it was just incredibly special. And, you know, maybe want to do it many more times to come and, and hopefully Spurs can eventually get back into Europe. Um, I am positive about Ange Postecoglou. I do think it's a nice appointment. I'm excited to kind of see Spurs play attacking football. But yeah, for me, um, AC Milan away, it was obviously a defeat, but uh, just that experience was, was fantastic. And um, maybe a game we did actually win. Um, I think Marseille away was another big highlight for Spurs. Obviously, you know, last minute winner to top the group, kind of a look like our fortunes might change. Obviously, it didn't quite do that in the end, but uh, that was that was a very special moment, actually, kind of since um, Pierre Mourbier score a winner in the last minute. Obviously, Champions League to top the group, as I said. Uh, so that was probably my moment. But uh, in terms of a personal one, I think Milan away, just experiencing the, the Champions League, experience obviously the San Siro as well. It's a fantastic stadium. So uh, yeah, that that for me were my my two highlights. Great shout, Jamie. Now, we spoke about summer transfers earlier in the show, but I'd be keen to know what your value signing of the season just gone was for you. So, Jamie, I'll start with you first. What was the best value for you? Yeah, I mean, there was two that I, I really liked, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say it was a Kanji for £50 million pounds and Nick Pope for £10 million. Pounds. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've got, I apologise there to Greg, I've kind of stolen two and I'm going to take another one. Uh, but my actual shout is um, Estupina. Um, obviously, they're signing for £15 million. Pounds. He's had a big impact this season. He's kind of been a real integral part of this Brighton team. Obviously, have qualified for Europe for the first time in their history. Um, obviously, a big upgrade on, on Kukurea, who they managed to sell for a lot of money. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, had a big impact on that Brighton team. Was was fantastic in the Derby system. Obviously, playing in that left wing rack role. So uh, yeah, Estupinan is my pick here. That's a great shout, actually, Craig. Who's good value for money in your eyes? Yeah, Jamie's mentioned him. Um, Akanji, Manchester City, 15 million quid. Um, talk about Manchester City and Dortmund and you'll instantly think about Haaland. And yeah, obviously, Erling Haaland's an absolutely brilliant talent. But I just think that the way that this Manchester City defence, you know, Nathan Aki's been injured. Um, Americ Laporte's not really played too much. John Stones has been in midfield and they're not really missed to beat City. That You know, the last few games of the season, they were brilliant. Uh, they've won the Champions League. They've won the treble. So I, I just think 15 million quids are absolutely nothing nowadays. You know, although not many, but but some clubs would spend 15 million pounds on a player in the championship. Um, I think it's a great sign, and I just think that the way that City play attacking often sort of overlooks how they play defensively. Um, they've had a few issues defensively this season, but bringing in a Kanji for for 15 millions managed to cover up many of those. So I'm glad me and Jamie's on the same page, and he got a mention off Jamie. But but yeah, that that will be the one for me. Yeah, I think that's a clean sweep. I'll go for a kanji as well. And of course, check out freebets.com for the best insight and betting tips ahead of this weekend. Right, now it's time for the randomizer section. As it's the end of the season, we're going to do things a little different in our final segment. The three of us will ask two questions to the remaining two pod squad members, but the questions are completely random and it means we all have to think on our feet. So Craig, you're up first. You get the first question. Who are you going to serve it to? Yeah, I'll give this one to you first, Dan, and then Jamie can answer second. Okay. Um, so... If you could add in any new rule to the Premier League, it doesn't matter how crazy it sounds, 
then what is the rule that you will bring in? Now, this can be anything to do with the structure of how the league works or something in a, in a match itself, for example, a sin bin. Um, so, yeah, Dan, you can go first with that one. Okay, then I will go for... Um, let's have a think. I think time has been a big issue this season and how it's been kind of managed enjoying games. Newcastle is a perfect example. I'd like to go for the stop clock. So, although football at the moment is 90 minutes, I'd like it to be... When the ball's in play, the clock keeps rolling. So you have a 60-minute stop clock and then there's none of this kind of, you know, time management or hitting the floor and, you know, buying seconds, all that kind of thing. I think fans, as a, we're kind of getting a bit short change. You know, the ball in play is, what, 51, 52 minutes at times. I think we deserve at least 60 with the money we're paying to, to watch this product. So I'm going to go for the stop clock. Very good. Jamie? Yeah, and I'm going to go for margin for error with offsides. Um, I think a lot of us are kind of very fed up with, you know, millimetres kind of separating. So I think that there should be some sort of system in place to determine, you know, maybe you should be allowed a bit of error, um, but, you know, some sort of margin um, for offside because I think some of them are just incredible. Like, you're not gaining any sort of advantage being, you know, a couple of centimetres offside. So I would like to see maybe a bit of uh, wiggle room in terms of that. Um, because as I said, offsides have just been very frustrating. Even, even when maybe when your team concede a goal and um, you know, and uh, or, or you know, it goes against you or it goes in your favour in terms of player just being offside, it just feels frustrating. So uh, yeah, I'd like to see a bit of margin for error in terms of offside and uh, gives a bit of leeway to the attackers. Okay, and Jamie. Think, oh, sorry, Craig. Sorry, sorry. I think cricket cover that well with like the umpire's call. You know, when it's a review, so it like sticks with the umpire. So I'm sure there's something mm-hmm. that could do that. Um, just just to round off, my wacky idea would be to create a, some kind of Premier League playoff system for the final Champions League spot mm. and have some kind of playoff games because playoffs is like the best type of football. Yeah, That's a good chat, actually. Like I, I was thinking perhaps maybe tweaking the playoffs so we have the team which is in, let me think, 17th joins the top three teams. So you lose sixth place in the Championship they're not in the playoffs. The 17th yeah. place team in the Premier League is in the playoffs and they have to win the playoffs to stay in the Premier League. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah so potentially four could go down and we've already mentioned like last year that it was the not like Everton, you said, yes. They, yes. they're just less like the fourth worst team um, and it, we could well see the same next year as well and we probably did with Leeds two years ago. Yeah, I think you don't want to sort of scrap because I know in some leagues you have kind of relegation promotion playoff and it's just one versus one. I don't think we want to lose the essence of the playoffs because it's a great vehicle in this country. But I feel that there needs to be extra jeopardy in the Premier League because Everton, let's be honest, they deserve to go down. I think because of the mechanisms of the Premier League, they stayed up. But if we kind of built in that extra level, I think they'd go down as well. But anyway, that's that's, the question sorted. Jamie, you're up next now. Who are you going to serve your question to first? Yeah, go on. I'll go, I'll go for Craig first with this one. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, my question is: I've, t- I've seen a lot of people kind of debating this um, on a guy that we've actually spoken about in the show. Um, do we believe that Declan Rice is a 100 million pound player? Yes, I do. Um, I, I believe that he's more of a 100 pound, 100 million pound player than Jack Grealish for certain. Um, but yeah, I do. And so I'll go back to what I said in the podcast earlier on. I think the way that teams play now with a sort of a front four or a front five sometimes, interchanging positions and popping up on different wings. And, and we've you know, Manchester City are absolutely perfect for it. They're brilliant at it. And you'll sometimes have an overload where you've got two of their players playing on the same wing in the same position. I just think that all of that's come about because we've got this holding midfield position that's now so vital. 
Uh, Declan Rice does it brilliantly. He pops up and, and sort of sweeps up everywhere. And he gives other players the confidence to just go forward and do their thing because they know that Declan Rice is there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think some of the football transfers that we, we see nowadays are absolutely crazy. But I think wherever Declan Rice goes, he'll be a pivotal part of any team. He would be a pivotal part of any team in the world for, like, the best part of a decade. So, if you can keep hold of him, then, then yeah, I think he's worth paying £100 million for it. Ten million pound a season if you're gaining for ten year. Um, I, I think he's that good. Yeah. Okay, I'll take on the question. I will go. Yes, I think he's worth hundred million. I feel there's some caveats or context that need to be attached to that in the sense that you have to kind of think of market value versus the value to the club. Now, obviously, to West Ham, he's almost irreplaceable. He probably is irreplaceable if we're being honest. So they're going to want as much money that they can get to try and replace Declan Rice. So then that creates a bit of inflation in terms of the price. However, as Craig says, when you look at the role that he now plays and the importance of that role in a modern-day team, then it's no kind of stretch to be paying £100 million regardless of the club he's at. I guess you also need to ask yourself, is it £100 million regardless of where his contract length is? I mean, if he's in the final year of his contract, is Rice then worth £100 million? Probably not, but right now, he definitely is. So I guess there are some sort of extra elements you need to add to the, the answer but I think in all intents and purposes he's definitely worth 100 million yeah no I 100% agree for me yeah definitely a 100 million pound player I think that he's so complete as well that's something that I think Declan Rice is, is just so good at you look at when he's able to carry the ball forward as well obviously we kind of see him as this almost defensive midfielder but I think what he offers going forward is is, is really important as well. And um, I think he's going to do fantastic wherever he goes. Obviously, I would, I would as a Spurs fan, obviously, we'd be gutted to see him go to Arsenal because, as I said, I think he is a magnificent player. So I think we kind of mentioned earlier, I do think Manchester City might still have some sort of say in this, this transfer. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I, 100% I do think he's a £100 million player. Yeah, we're all agreed on that front. So it's time for my question. And I'm going to throw it open to Jamie first. This one is inspired by me watching the Nations League final last night. Does knockout football need extra time? Are we at a point where teams are kind of switching off an extra time and going straight to penalties in that kind of mindset? Is, is it better to have it or does it need the tension of playing through extra time to get to penalties? What do you reckon? Um, you'd probably say, yeah. I mean, obviously you've got to come to some sort of winner eventually. So potentially, yes, I think, yes, it probably does have to have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there is times where maybe teams are kind of looking to take it to extra time and just looking to hold on. So um, I don't know, I, I, I probably would say yes to this one. I think because you, you probably do need a winner eventually. Um, I, don't, I don't see otherwise it would be decided. Okay, Craig, same question to you. Would you scrap extra time and go straight to penalties? Um, I, I, I would, but the reason why I would is because I think it would create a bit more exciting football actually. Because I think everyone would be of the agreement that penalties are, are, are a lottery. But then what I would say is, if penalties come after extra time, when you get to extra time, is any team capable of really going for it? Or are they too tired? Or have they made so many subs that they're a bit all over the place? Mm. So what I'm thinking is, if it's 1-1 and there's 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left, and you've got a manager who, who's known for going for it and maybe taking a slight risk, would they go all out to win that game rather than avoiding the lottery of a penalty shootout? And if they did, they would have fresher players on the pitch or maybe a sub, a sub up their sleeve to, to change something. 
which would give their players the ability to really go for it. Which I, I think extra time. I think the, one of the reasons why it sort of gains Peter out is because managers can't really do much because the, the players are so tired. Um, I think scrapping extra time, whether it's a good or a bad thing, would lead to more exciting finishes in football than we see because teams would want to avoid penalties. Whereas I think in extra time, they've maybe got no choice but to go to penalties because they're too tired to do anything about it. If that makes sense? Yeah, it perfectly mm. does. I think yeah. I think what you say, Craig, is actually the best way to frame the argument. I think the only danger would be that if you removed extra time, would teams start shutting up shop from minute 75 to 90? You'd have the same kind of issue that we're seeing in extra time, but you kind of add that extra freshness that you got by not playing those extra 30 minutes. And I think that might kind of get around that potential problem. So I think we're kind of getting to that point where people, we all love penalties. It's the best way to decide a match, really, if we're being honest. Um, so you kind of think to yourself, do we really need extra time? Is it a bit of a burden? Probably. So why not try it? I mean, the AFL Cup shows it works. So I think really it should be the way to go across the board for me. So I think as of next season, let's scrap extra time. That's official. But now it's time for a second question. So Craig, it's you again. Who are you going to say it to next? Yeah, so so I've got the slight advantage of you two supporting the same team, so I can put a slight team uh, slant on mine. So it's going to go to Jamie first. It's a very simple question. Who wins a trophy first, England or Tottenham, and what is the year they win it in? <laughs> oh, I mean, this is the, the, the difficult question because um, I've always said it's, it's very difficult being a Spurs fan and an England fan because... It's been a very long time since both of the last won a trophy. I think, obviously, last time Spurs won the league back in the 60s. Last time England won the World Cup was back in the 60s. Um, I think it's going to be England. Um, I think that, obviously, the, the kind of group that we're building here, um, I think, you know, there's a real kind of lots of great young players coming through. I think you've got the right mentality of players at the moment. I think that I think we spoke on on last week's show about kind of yes, England have had some fantastic teams recently, and and you look at some of the teams that haven't won stuff with England. I think it comes down to mentality, and that obviously this England team are getting closer and closer each year. Very much something special building in terms of some fantastic players, real togetherness. Um, they look like a team as well. Um, I think it'll be the Euros. I, I think 2024 can, can can be the year. I think you go into that tournament, as we said, as one of the two favourites, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I I think next year could be the year I finally see uh, one of my teams win a trophy. And uh, I think England can win the Euros. Very good. I hope you're right. Dan? Um, let's have a think. I mean, Jamie makes a very solid case and I would be tempted to copy him. But I'm going to I'm gonna stick my nail to the Tottenham flag, actually, because... Um, I think with Big Ange, he's going to want to make a sort of point of him not being a stud manager who's just come from Scotland and kind of lucked into getting a job in the Premier League. I think the Premier League is obviously going to be well out of distance. But what about a cup? You know, there's been this trophy drought for 15 years now. And I think what better way to announce yourself on the English football stage by winning the FA Cup or the, the League Cup? There's no Europe, of course. So these two competitions should take on extra prominence as well. And I just feel that why not, really? I mean, if you've got teams distracted by the Champions League, are they going to put all their eggs in the FA Cup? League Cup basket, maybe, maybe not, unless you're Man City, of course, who try and go for everything. But I think that the stage is there for them to give it a proper good go in an English Cup. I know they haven't been treated with the right level of respect in the last few years under likes of Poch, Mourinho, Conte. They've kind of been this awkward thing they've got to play in. But I just feel that, actually, I feel that Big Ange is probably going to give it both barrels in the domestic competitions. So I'm going to go with Tottenham 2024. Very, very good. Um, I would have... I'm siding with Jamie and going with England. What would have made this 
an almost impossible task for me to answer is if Tottenham would have been in the Europa Conference League. Um, because I, I do think that they would think Postacoglu would take it more serious than, than most other managers. And obviously they've got the quality to win it, Tottenham. Um, that would have made the question more difficult for me. But I'm going to go with England winning the Euros next year. And sadly, Tottenham uh, continuing their recent drought. Well, lot long drought now. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was recent. But anyway, Jamie, your second question. Who are you going to serve it to? Yeah. Uh, go on, I'll go for you first then, down with this one. Um, I would like you to rank the three managers in terms of ability um, or in terms of who you think is the best. Um, obviously, all had fantastic seasons. Um, Eddie Howe, Mikel Arteta and Roberto De Zerbi. OK, wow, that is a great shout. Um, I guess it's all about the context of where they're meant to be. I mean, probably... Oh, God, this is really hard. I'd say Eddie Howe, because I don't think the leap from where Newcastle were last season to where they got to was as expected. And they didn't really spend a lot of mad money, did they? So I feel that the squad he had, I think that's a great achievement. So I'll go Howe number one. Um, I feel you've got to go Arteta two. I think had he won the league, I think you'd have to say number one. I think the fact they just slipped away towards the end has probably undone him, but you can't ignore his season. And I feel Deserby third, but I mean, it's harsh to make him number three when you look at his achievements. So three really solid contenders for what would be manager of the season. But I feel if you had to order him, that would be mine. Craig? Um, I'm going to be boring and say the same order as Dan, but I'll give different reasons. Um, If we were talking about a manager of the year, I would have definitely given it to Eddie Howe this year. Just because I think the expectations on Newcastle are actually higher than what they should be. Um, And Eddie Howe spent far less money than what he was expected to spend. What he's done with... What he's done with Newcastle this year, some people will say it's expected. Oh, Newcastle, the new owners. But remember when Newcastle had the new owners come in, they got thousands of fans outside of St. James's Park celebrating the dawn of a new era. They'd got fans dressed up in Arabian costumes outside the ground. They'd got mock-ups on BBC that included names like Neymar going to the club. And none of that has actually come to fruition. They've just spent a reasonable amount of money without being stupid. Um, and they've spent it very well. So when you look at where, like Newcastle, some people say, well, they're expected to finish in Champions League. But if you would tell people how much money Newcastle would have spent and who they'd have brought in, then nobody would have expected them to be in the Champions League. But he's done it. He's turned them around quicker than I expected by spending less money than what everyone expected. So that's why I would give him the number one. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. I think he's a very, very good fit. And if they continue to move at a a slow pace which I think they have moved at a slow pace and they've done well for it then I think they're just going to keep improving together and this Newcastle and Eddie Howe sort of partnership could well go on for years to come which is is rare in football nowadays um, Mikel Arteta wouldn't get the number one position just because I thought he, he showed where he needs to improve at the end of the season I think he was too emotionally invested in the games at times to have a clear head and give the right right instructions I think on the sideline, we saw him infuriated on, on occasions, um, struggling with his emotions. And I think when you go in at half-time, you can imagine Pep going in at half-time and very calm and explaining what needs to be done. And I think that's what Mikel Arteta needs to work on, which is why he can't be number one. Mm. I'm not saying he'll never get there. I think I think he could well get there. 
but that's a, a, to me that's that's a, a big part of his his sort of yeah. management skills that needs improving. Do, do you think uh, that's something? Do you think that's something that can be um, kind of learnt with experience, or do you think that's something that maybe you just naturally have, and, and maybe something you can't just kind of learn? Do you think that he can actually kind of get that experience of knowing how to deal with those those high pressure situations? Um, well, I think it's just just sort of being there and doing it before, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. Everybody knows why why Arsenal. I, I mean, I think Arsenal would have lost the title even if they'd not gone on that bad run of was it four games without a win or whatever. And that was when Arteta was at his worst, really, on the sidelines when they were playing against Southampton, the game they drew at home, and you know that that period. I thought he managed the team very poorly, and he let his emotions get the better of him. But when he revisits that in twelve months' time or twenty-four months, if it's two years before they're back up there, um. The ex- he should have learned from that experience. It, it, to me, being a being a manager is all about learning from your experiences. And and I'm in no way in Mikel Arteta's ballpark, but as a football coach myself, the amount of things that I've changed in the course of the last twelve months just because I've I've been there and experienced it first and thought about what happened. And when your emotions stop and you get to the day after and you're thinking about things. I, you know, I, I coach part-time like two days a week. He spends seven days a week at it. I'm sure a couple of days after that, like that Southampton game was a prime example for me. He sits there and, and he thinks like, that's what I did. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. And it's, the vast majority of learning in football is about reflecting on what's gone in the past and how you change it moving forward. So if he doesn't, then he's not the manager that I think he could be. But I think he will do that and, and eventually get there. Um Ten seconds to round off because I know I've been rambling a bit. Uh, Deserby, I think, has done a great job at Brighton, but to me, he just needs to come back and do it again. I think he's done well, and calling him third or, or last in these three is, is sort of sort of playing down how good he's done. But for me, I need to see it again from Brighton, uh, and that goes for the team as well. You know, I think there's there's no pressure on them to deliver again, but if they really want to be considered as as a team going place, I, I want to see them come back and and do it again and, and finish sixth or seventh again. What's your take, Jamie? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd actually go with with the same order as you guys have gone, um, which obviously I, I thought my question would maybe spark a bit more debate amongst us in terms of different orders. But uh, no, I think I think Eddie Howe has to be number one. Um, I, th- I think in terms of you look at where he did take over, um, they're very much a team that were right at the bottom of the Premier League and to take them into the fourth place, you know, to take them into the top four in such a short space of time, I think such an, a brilliant achievement. And as we very much made the point, he's not spent a huge amount of money. I think a lot of players, or a lot of people or fans thought when and then, you know, the new owners arrived at Newcastle, they were going to spend a lot of money. They were going to go for all these big names, but they've actually kind of built a team and, um, you know, they've kind of gradually progressed it. And um, I think the way that Eddie Howe has, has kind of built this team has been really impressive. So for me, definitely number one. Arteta, I would say, is number two. I think, you know, obviously some of the football he's played at times this season has been fantastic. He's obviously had to be kind of patient in terms of building this Arsenal team. He's had to change the culture at the club as well. I think that's something that's really difficult to do because there was many times when he could have been sacked. You know, he could have almost felt like he'd almost given up as well. But to kind of turn it around as he's done, I think such an impressive achievement. And then obviously to Serbia, I think, you know, very unfortunate to finish in the, the number three spot here because slotted in at Brighton fantastically well, obviously took over. I think they were in a good position under under Graham Potter. The one thing they were missing is kind of being able to really score goals. And um, that's something he really did change. You know, they scored a lot more goals 
than they did under Graham Potter. And I think he really kicked this Brighton team on. And, and first time they've ever been in Europe, that's a massive achievement. So, uh, yeah, that's my order as well. OK, then time for my second question. I'm going to go to Craig first. And the question is this. What is the better achievement, in your opinion? Is it Arsenal going a Premier League season unbeaten or is it Man City getting 100 points in a top-tier campaign? So just to add a little bit of context, Arsenal may have gone unbeaten, but they only won 26 of their 38 matches. Manchester City won 32 of their 38 by comparison and scored 10 more points overall. So what do you reckon is better? Yeah, great question. Um, uh, I, I'm going to say Manchester City just because... From a pure footballing fan point of view, I want to see teams looking to win games. And I don't. I'm not saying for a second Arsenal had a, a defensive mentality when when they went unbeaten all season. But I, I want teams to attack, and I want them to win games, and I want them to to have that extra bit of quality, not only to draw, but but to actually go out there and win. And like away from home, Manchester City will approach games in exactly the same way as they do at home. Um, whether they're playing against a team in the relegation zone or they're playing against the team that's second behind them and chasing them, they play games with the exact same mentality. And I think that's what sets apart this Manchester City team from from many that we've seen, many good teams that have won the Premier League over the years, is the fact that they, they're heavily focused on being the best, showing that they're the best and wanting to win games. So I will give the 100 points the season, the slight edge, taking nothing at all away from Arsenal. I just think we need to come... There's so many games of football nowadays. We need to come to expect that players and teams are going to have off days. Um, and you can say that that's a positive for Arsenal, but I would counteract that by saying, I don't know how many, but that Arsenal team played nowhere near as many games as what Manchester City would have done when they got 100 points. Um so there's a lot more football. So I don't think we can expect another team to do what Arsenal did. But at the same time, I still think the City the city one's better. So I would go with Manchester City getting 100 points. Great answer, Jamie. Same question to you, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to go with Manchester City here. I think, um, obviously, I have given Arsenal some credit in this show. I said I will be up there next season. But in terms of this achievement, I think that uh, I think Man City, um, and, and exactly the same reason as Greg said, you know, the team had that mentality of, of we're trying to win every game. They were good in and other competitions as well. I think, you know, obviously important to note, as you, as you said, you know, 12 draws in that season. There was times when they were playing almost kind of for draws as well and just looking to avoid defeats. I think towards the end of the season, you know, they drew pretty much a lot of their games. I think it was something like five out of the last, I think it was eight games they drew. So obviously it was kind of towards the end of the season. They weren't didn't really look like they were going for the win. So, Again, it's obviously a fantastic achievement and I'd be silly to kind of really dismiss it. But I think to get 100 points and have that mentality of, of, of you know, winning all those matches and collecting so many points for me is, is, is the real achievement. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you both. I just feel that, you know, you can't undermine Arsenal's achievement, but the fact they drew a third of the campaign slightly dials it down compared to Manchester City. I mean, let's say if Arsenal won 30 of their 38 matches... They win, what, what's that, uh, 98 points. You think, actually, that's really solid, regardless of getting to 100. But I just feel that 26 wins out of 38, it's great, but it's not amazing, is it? Whereas Man City, they lost two games out of 38. 
it's a great impressive record. 14 points dropped all season. It's really hard to, to look past that. So I think Man City are the gold standard on that one. We are the gold standard in terms of betting podcasts, but we've hit full time. And I just need to do the admin before we wrap up for the season. As mentioned before, if any of these bets take your fancy, make sure to visit the free bets website. And now I just need to thank my duo of top guests. Craig, thanks for joining me this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed the season as a whole. Yeah, re- really enjoyed this episode. Something a bit different. And yeah, I've really enjoyed the football season. Uh, we've, we've had a bit of everything, really, from... Um, from League One to the Premier League to the World Cup to Champions League, everything in between. Um, it's, it's been a very good season, a very long season. Um, it, we, we're still sort of talking about games taking place in the middle of June and, and we're, we're finally there. Time for a, a bit of a summer break and uh, come back and, and fire again for the start of August when the new season comes around. Top man. And Jamie, thanks for your time. I look forward to doing it all again next season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, fantastic talking with you guys each week about football, you know, looking ahead to the weekend's action, looking ahead to midweek action. It's obviously been a fantastic season. And um, yeah, obviously, some, some great football we've seen this season. Having the World Cup mid-season, obviously, I think it was, you know, a really exciting World Cup. I really enjoyed reviewing that. Obviously, lots of exciting Premier League action, lots of exciting Champions League action. Obviously, the lower leagues as well. And, and, and then speaking about some of the, you know, the foreign leagues um, as well, been all really exciting. And uh, yeah, really fantastic season. and Really enjoyed speaking about it. Yeah, as, as I say, well, to, to both of you, it's been a fantastic season working with you two. We've had so much chat. We've crammed so much in. I mean, a World Cup in the middle of the season. It seems strange to start with, but it was really fun. It really worked. So maybe more of that in the future. Who knows? But anyway... Cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Odds On Podcast. And until next season, goodbye. (laughs) 